1: Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 36, brought to you by the Five at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. And as always, I am joined by QB1 in my heart, here to break down some performances from the Eagles and also taking a look at the upcoming enemy quarterback. We'll be talking about Kirk Cousins later, but first I want to talk about Mark Schofield.
2: Mark. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Mr. Kiss. always a pleasure to be with you. And as always, we start with a little history and we're back to the Popes. Holding oh. it up so everybody can see on News Channel 8 here, John Julius Norwich, <laughs> the Popes, which is, again, it's it's a fantastic book. And we're going to read a bit from chapter seven, which covers the period of 855 to 964. And the chapter is, interestingly enough, titled Nicholas One and the Pornocracy, which is extremely interesting, but it covers the period of time... Yes, the Pornocracy. The pornocracy. Okay. We're, not, we're going to actually save the bulk of that Pornocracy for a later date, but this covers the period of time after the rumored Pope Joan. Yes, there was a rumor of a female pope, which Norwich does talk about. We're not going to get into that, but he talks about the period of time after Nicholas I, which was basically just a disaster in terms of the pope and the papacy. As Norwich writes, Nicholas I marks a watershed. He was the last pontiff of any ability or integrity to occupy the chair of St. Peter for a century and a half. His successor, an elderly cleric who took the name of Hadrian II, he squandered in only five short years virtually all that Nicholas has gained, yielded to Archbishop Hickmar restoring communion to King Lothair, now back with his mistress, and allowed Bulgaria to slip back into orthodoxy. Not content with undoing virtually all the hard work of Anastasius, he even accused Anastasius of complicity in the murder of his former wife and daughter, excommunicating him for the second time in his career. Now it gets really fun, Mike. Even Hadrian, this guy that we were just talking about, who was a mess, was a paragon in comparison with his successors. Hadrian's successor, John Eighth, was at least energetic, but also had the dubious distinction of being the first pope to be assassinated, and worse still, by priests from his own entourage. According to the annals of the Abbey of Fulda, they first gave him poison. Then, when this failed to act quickly enough, they hammered in his skull. And so, Ooh. Mike, that's pretty awkward when your own entourage, your own flock, basically wants to hammer in your skull. Kind of like your own wide receivers openly questioned your ability to throw the football downfield <laughs> on podcasts and the like. And so that might bring us to Kirk Cousins.
1: They might want to club him to death like, like – Hammer in his skull? Th- yeah, John the Eighth. <laughs> there's a lot of popes that were like strangled and poisoned. and Yeah, and I mean,
2: this actually goes on talks about some of the guys after John the Eighth. There's Leo the Leo. Yep. There's John the Tenth,
1: but Benedict the was strangled. Who was it? John the Fourteenth. I think he was starved to death or something like that. Like right. there, there's but, like a just a few that come to mind off the top of my head.
2: Norwich goes on. The next two popes, Stephen the Fifth and Forsimus, died in their beds. But on the order of his successor, Stephen VI, the body of Forsimus was exhumed in March 896, eight months after his death, clothed in pontifical vestments, propped up on a throne and subjected to a mock trial on charges of perjury and of covet in the papacy. He was said to have accepted the See of Rome while still bishop of another diocese, which is, interestingly enough, not a crime today. Not unpredictably, he was found guilty. All his acts, including his ordinations, were declared null and void, a judgment that caused indescribable confusion, and his body, minus the three fingers of his right hand that he had used to give blessings was flung into the Tiber. I love it. That's some spite, man. If they're like digging you up to put you on trial,
1: well, uh, John the 12th murdered by the uh jealous husband of the woman with whom he was in bed. These 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 pious folk,
2: they're they're, they're uh, I, and we haven't even got to the pornocracy part of this chapter, which I read last night, which is again fascinating, but we'll save that for another date. Yeah, that's the Russell
1: Wilson film, that's the
2: pornocracy. Yeah.
1: We're going to talk That's about the that later.
2: Incognito mode game tape film.
1: Let's talk about these wide receivers wanting to assassinate their pope or their quarterback. Let's talk about uh, some Kirk Cousins. We'll go with Kirk first. We can we can save Wentz for later. Why not, Mark? I was doing prep for for this game, and one of the first games I watched was the the newest one against the Giants with the Vikings, and I, we were talking about this before the show. You watch this Vikings offense; their early scripting kind of tells you what they want the offense to be pretty much all the time. It was play action boot, play action boot. There was a toss in there. There's a play action boot screen. Like this is the formula for the Vikings offense,
2: right? Yeah, it, this is what they do primarily. They we're you know now four games in five games in we know what teams want to be for the most part and they want to be a team that runs the ball you know, kirk cousins isn't throwing a ton of passes right now they're a run heavy team they want to give you a ton of wide zone and outside zone and they want to build in play action boots off of that they do a ton in the screen game i'd love to have those numbers the percentages of times that they actually <laughs> throw screens and run screens I'd be fascinated if we could see a study like that i don't know yeah. if there's anybody out there a gentle listener or maybe just a friend that could give us those kind of numbers
1: maybe a somebody cool like uh Abdu or, or, or somebody can tweet it out just Yeah, somebody
2: like. could tweet it out. A gentle listener could just tweet that out for us because I'm sure what they would show us if we had access to that data, which I couldn't imagine having, <laughs> is that they're a screen-heavy team. And they, like you said, they want to do a ton off of boot. You look at their game against Oakland, primarily what they want to do is set up three level reads for Cousins off of boot, where you get the vertical, the intermediate, crosser or out, and then a guy in the flat and give him those nice designs. But they had a beautiful design against Oakland where they went outside zone to the right. He boots to the left off of it. And... Adam Thielen, who's in the slot, shows you like he might run that deep blaze out where he comes to the middle of the field or that Miami route like Shanahan calls it, where he comes to the middle of the field and breaks to the outside. You think he's going to run that to set up the three-level stretch to the left, but he just then stays across the formation, and it's almost like a throwback, and he's wide open. So they they will do some throwback stuff as well. They go throwback screen, which they did early against the Giants where you go – Wide zone to the left, you boot right and throw back to Dalvin Cook on a screen to the left. They will do some leak with the tight ends, Irv Smith, Kyle Kyle Rudolph, where they come down the line of scrimmage away from the boot and then release vertically. We sometimes see that with Kittle and the 49ers, but that's what they want to do. They want to go wide zone. They want to go outside zone. They want to really, quote unquote, establish the run and then build in play action passes off of that and screens off of that.
1: So the way I'm seeing Cousins right now is he hasn't had a whole lot of attempts, man. This is, this is no. a heavy run team. Because of that, his stats are a little bit low. But w- when you look at the efficiency of them and you know the the yards per attempt are pretty high for him, the highest it's been for him since 2014. The quarterback rating is solid. He's played solid. The completion rating uh, last time the Eagles played Kirk Cousins, you know, I was I was very worried about the play action, but I was also uh, surprised to see how much quick game they used because of the way that the Eagles deploy their coverage. And Cousins was very effective, and he hurt the Eagles that way. So I think overall, despite this not being like a bombastic passing attack to this point, I think they can still definitely hurt you. What, what are your overall feelings of how Cousins has played to this point in the season?
2: You know, if you remember this offseason, Mike, there was a debate that played out in the Twitter sphere about Cousins. Ooh. in a sense, people wondered where he was as a quarterback. And I actually waded into that debate, as I usually don't do, because I save the takes for the articles, because nobody reads the the articles. People read the takes on the timeline, though, and I don't want to get myself into trouble. But (laughs) I waded into that one with a piece over at Matt Waldman's site, where I made the sort of analogy of, if you look at quarterback play, there are bakers, not Baker Mayfields, but there are bakers and there are (laughs) chefs, okay? Yeah. And the chef types are the guys that if you've ever like cooked a dinner or something like that, you know that, yeah, you might have a recipe, but you don't really stick to it. You might add more garlic. You might add more sauce. You might add more butter, whatever it is. You don't really go step by step. But if you ever try to bake a cake and you get a little heavy with the baking soda or a little heavy with the flour or the sugar, you're ruining things. You can't really go off script. And if you think about quarterback play, there are bakers and there are chefs, you know, and guys like... You might say Baker Mayfield is a chef, you know, Mm. where he can sort of create outside structure. Brett Favre, a chef. He can sort of create. He can do things differently. Aaron Rodgers, a chef with those Favre-type RPOs we were talking about a couple weeks ago. Kirk Cousins is a baker, Mm. and he adheres to that. He will go step by step. And sometimes when you were watching him, you could see him going through the mental pre-snap, post-snap checklist from the playbook step by step. By step. He had a play two weeks ago against Chicago where they were running basically a Mills concept. He gets a Tampa 2 look. The middle linebacker carries digs on the inside vertical route, so that dig route comes open, and he sees it coming out of play action. All he has to do is shorten up his drop a step, not take the hitch and get the ball out quickly, and he's got a big completion. But he goes through and carries out every single step of the drop. He takes the hitch like the playbook says, and then he throws it, and by then it's too late. And so that's the frustrating thing if you're a Vikings fan watching Kirk Cousins. It's that you know that if he just deviates from the recipe the tiniest bit at times, they can be successful. But he just goes through everything step by step. And so what that means is if these designs like we're talking about, these throwbacks, these – boots and things like that are there, he's fantastic. And they could be successful in the passing game. Or if like we saw last year when these teams played or other times when these teams have played when the quick game stuff is there because of the way Schwartz has his corners playing off, if they're going to give him that pre-snap, he'll take it. But if he's forced to sort of deviate from the recipe or deviate from what he's asked to do and create, that's when he struggles. And so I think that's the task for Schwartz this week is to make him deviate.
1: I've listened to Cousins break down stuff and do the chalkboard thing and everything like that. And he sounds incredibly intelligent. And yeah. is that it's almost to a point where it's a detriment because yep. he's so into how everything is ordered and this is how we do things. And you're right, you bring up great points there. Like he's very stick to the script kind of guy. But overall, when you look at Cousins, this is a guy that, you know, might have. Some some swings in his plays, some ups and downs. But when they come in with a good game plan and the defense looking like the Eagles' secondary does right now, with some question marks with it, he can hurt you, right?
2: Yeah, he could definitely hurt you, and uh, uh, we can get into that in a second. But I think there's another way to look at it. There's a difference between book smart and street smart, right? Like <laughs> Kirk Cousins is book yeah. smart. You know, when, you know he knows the offense, he knows defenses, he knows coverages, and all that sort of stuff. Brett Favre was street smart. Brett Favre didn't know what a nickel defense was. He didn't know what a nickelback was, but he could beat you because it's that sort of difference between just knowing how to play the game and knowing what you're supposed to do within the structure of an offense. And I think that's another way to look at the quarterback position. Now, as for this Vikings offense, look, you've got two incredible route runners in Diggs and Thielen. And these are guys that are going to pose problems for most every single secondary in the National Football League. And you could see, we talk about this a lot on this show and elsewhere, double moves against this defense particularly working and well. And so you could anticipate some scheme shots, sometimes off play action, sometimes not, with some double moves built in to sort of take advantage of what they do. Like you said, they have a willingness, this Minnesota offense, to go some quick game stuff to sort of take advantage of how the defensive secondary might align pre-snap. Again... If Cousins knows exactly what to do with the ball, he sees an uncapped defender, he sees soft coverage, he sees a big cushion. He has no qualms, just throwing a hitch and letting guys get yardage after the catch. And if Schwartz is going to give him that, he'll take it. So Mm. you put that together, there are certainly ways that this offense could pose problems for Schwartz in the secondary. So it's a matter of, again, can Schwartz sort of make him deviate, make him think, make him play off script. If they do that, they'll have a good chance at slowing down this offense.
1: Yeah, and I think a big part of this is going to be how the defensive ends, who Barnett and Brandon Graham, for as much as the struggles that the Eagles have had against play action, they had their ends play the boots really well. Brandon Graham, right. for example, uh, the play last week against Luke Falk, where it's fourth and one. And Falk is rolling to the outside and Brandon Graham is straight in his face, causes a poor throw. Nate Gary picks it off for a pick six. The Eagles are going to need a ton of that stuff against Cousins.
2: Yeah, because look, the way they sort of design these routes is they want to throw low to high. Most route concepts you're reading high to low. But if you look at these boot concepts, you're actually reading it low to high. You're reading that whether it's the tight ends in the wind. Chip it and release into the flat. Whether it's that sift look where you show sort of the split zone design and these sifts and comes down the line of scrimmage and releases to the flat, you're reading that route first. So if you have the ability, whether it's Barnett or whomever, to sort of stay home, sort of set that edge and to get into his face quickly as he comes out of that fake, you're going to take that throw away. Because either he's going to be under such pressure that he can't make it, or you're just going to be in that throwing lane anyway and sort of take that away. So that's the first step to slowing that down and then letting the sort of coverage fill in behind it as you sort of read and react to the, the play possibly f- flowing away from you. And so mm. those ends have to do a job of getting into his face, showing him some chaos Taking those quick throws away, getting him under pressure to take that first read away, and then we're getting into that where we're possibly forcing him to deviate from the script a bit.
1: So a big time game needed by Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett and the other defensive ends to help this defense out against Kirk Cousins. When we come back here on the QB Show show, we're going to talk some Carson Wentz, and then we're going to take a look around at the rest of the league as well. Maybe even get into a little. I know you guys know that I hate the MVP de- debate, but I've, I've got a I've got an MVP favorite right now that I can't wait to talk
0: about. That's coming up next rate with service on the visible plan for additional terms and network management practices see visible.com hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line
1: we are back on the qb sco show episode 36 of bleeding green nation sb nation michael kissed here with mark schofield mark let's talk about whence let's do our weekly doctor's visit with carson Wentz. not the most robust performance against the Jets, but a good enough performance nonetheless. Uh, you know that I was on 97.5 The Fanatic yesterday, and they asked me about his uh, completion percentage, between, which is towards the bottom of the league. And even when you account for the Eagles leading the league in drops, it's still not great. And it's, it's starting to get this whole snowball effect to where one person brings it up. Now, everybody's looking at his stat line and his box line and his box stats and all that stuff. But like you said last week, his PFF grade. Or you're looking at just the completion percentage. Like, for instance, PFF has him as the second-ranked quarterback in the league still in the season by their grading. But those are all just data points. You put a bunch of them together and you throw in a big splash of film and you see what you get. So I'll ask you, uh, what do you got for me on Carson this week? And I say this jokingly, but is it time to hit the panic button on Carson Wentz?
2: I certainly think it is time to hit the panic button. A matter of fact, look, you guys need some help in the secondary. So we'll give you Juwan Williams, the Patriots' second-round pick for Carson Wentz, and Ooh. some future considerations straight up. Because, look, it's time to panic. Wentz is a boss. So trade him to New England, please. Uh, that would be <laughs> Just
1: nice. A, 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 we're we're starting to see the term game manager thrown around with Wentz. And I'm thinking, look, when, when, when Deshaun went out, the media asked Wentz, take what's there, let the offense work for you, which is a Doug Peterson quote, We're going to scale the offense back. Deshaun's not in there. Get the ball out quicker. Protect yourself. And then when he does it, Everyone points at his, at his at his stat line going, "Oh, he's a game manager." What in the hell are you looking at?
2: <laughs> we are hypocrites like, who are never satisfied. Like that's right. what we are, all, all those of us who cover it, those of us who are just fans, we are hypocrites who are who are never satisfied. And yeah. you know this idea that Wentz is a game manager or a system quarterback or whatever you want to phrase. All quarterbacks are system quarterbacks. Like I have yeah. said that and I will those will be probably my last words before I shuffle off this mortal coil. All quarterbacks or system quarterbacks, and Wentz is better than Dak? Those will be my last words, <laughs> and I'm probably fine with that. I know my family who are listening probably aren't fine with that, but whatever. That's who I am. I
1: always thought it was going to be. I hated you the most as you stared at into into my eyes before you just.
2: Get it's it's going to be like notes. like Adams and Jefferson, right? When they died on the same day, and they each <laughs> thought the other one died after, and they were like, "Oh, Jefferson wins," and we're like, "Oh, kissed wins." <laughs> like that's how it's going to be. But I like no, it. I I think you A, read this Eagles playbook. You flip through this Eagles playbook and you see the route concepts that are there. And a lot of them are designed to give the quarterback different outs and different ways to answer the questions that the defense poses at them. Because you will have plays like, you know, Arizona Buccaneer, for example, where you've got a potential backside ban eight. And they ran this for a touchdown with a, convertible double china look to the right where you've Uh got the two in routes from one and two and then you've got the convertible route from number three where you can run the end you can run a post you can run a corner depending on what you see and so you've got vertical elements you've got quick game elements and on many of these plays the first thing the quarterback is told to do and the sort of recipe so to speak is pick best side so you pick what look that you like and you go from that and If the defense is giving you off coverage or giving you cushions or they're giving you rotations, which make your first read, your quick read, whatever, the way to go with the football, like you said, you take it. Like, that's the job of the quarterback is to take what the defense gives him and execute the offense and put the defense on its heels. And some weeks that might be quick game. The bulk of the weeks, the past couple of weeks have been quick game concepts. When Deshaun comes back or you play some teams that are a bit weaker in the secondary, you might push it downfield more. You know, what's interesting when thinking about Minnesota is they'll show you some variations in the secondary, but I think they'd like to be a cover two, cover four type team for the most part. They will show you some safety rotations to more single high looks. They have safeties that can spin it pretty well. So you're going to have to be in a situation as Wentz is this week. We're going to have to decipher a lot in that post-snap phase. And so what we've seen from him is the ability to win some plays pre-snap. Like for example, First and 10, 151 mark of the first quarter. They go gun, they go double stick stick to the right with a backside slant flap between the X and the A. And now in Philadelphia, you're reading stick from the outside stick route to the inside. Some teams do it inside out, but they read it outside stick to the inside. And when Wentz sees this, he sees that the defensive back has outside leverage over the outside stick route, while Uh the inside receiver, the tight end, is working against a middle linebacker who has obviously inside leverage. Wentz knows... Before this ball is snapped, where he's throwing, why he's throwing it to his tight end, and this play is won. When you have the ability to win before the ball is snapped, that's a good thing for the offense, and that's what they're doing right now. It's not a bad thing. People shouldn't be upset about it. If you want to say that that makes him a game manager or a system quarterback, say it all you want. Tom Brady has six rings (laughs) being a game manager and a system quarterback. Take it and run. What's yeah. wrong with that?
1: I'm I'm watching this play and you're absolutely right. And well, I mean, what else is he going to do? The only vertical route right. is completely capped by Jeffrey. I'm not, I'm not right. sure which, what the like guy to you're, do.
2: It, it, you're not throwing the vertical when it's a low percentage play at that point. Right. You've got your tight end who's a good receiver after the catch working an out route against an inside leverage defender. And the next nearest defender is running with man coverage on the outside stick. What else are you going to do? Like, would it make you happy to see him force that throw downfield? Or would you rather make it, you know, now second and one or first and ten?
1: Is this a one-step drop or a three-step drop that Wentz shortens up? Do you remember?
2: I think it's a three-step that he shortens. I I yeah. believe in, in their stick concept, it's a three-step. But again, that enables him to speed it up. And it's the difference between these two quarterbacks. Just think what we were talking about with Cousins. Cousins doesn't shorten the drop of the dig. He takes the extra hitch. Ball comes out late. It's an incompletion here. once cuts it short because he knows what he has. He just gets it out of his hands and lets his guy create after the catch. That's how you can sort of, even within the structure of an offense, Create a little bit as the quarterback by speeding yourself up and getting the ball out quicker because you know what you've got and that ability to know pre-snap what you're doing with the ball enables you to do that post-snap.
1: I'm glad you. I'm glad you noticed that too. Okay, enough about Wentz. We're gonna talk about him every week. This Jets game was kind of boring. The offense wasn't fantastic. I thought it was a solid game for Wentz. Here we are. I mean, the, 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 Look, the bigger, the bigger tests you, are coming.
2: <laughs> the bigger tests are coming. But you play who's on your schedule. Yeah. And you take care of business and you move on. I'm sure Eagles fans would rather this than, oh my gosh, we just lost to Luke Falk in the Jets. <laughs> like, imagine this conversation right now if that's yeah. what we were talking about. Yeah. Imagine- Wentz not being
1: able to keep up with Luke Falk. That would be, yeah, it would yeah, be devastating.
2: Then it's time to hit the panic button, kids.
1: Not now. Too many people remember the trap game with Joe Webb. Too, You got to let oh, that yeah. go. You just got to let it let go, it go man. This was never happening. Let's, let's take a look around the league at some other quarterbacks. Uh, right now, there are two quarterbacks with over 100-plus throws that have more interceptions than touchdowns. It's Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen. And Jared Goff is right on that edge, too. Seven touchdowns, seven interceptions. And here's the thing. I don't think Goff has changed at all. The weaknesses that you're seeing – are the weaknesses that he's always had and the strengths that you're seeing are the strengths that he's always had. And we talked about this in the summer. When he's clean at the top of his drop in the pocket, working the intermediate areas of the field, he could be very, very good, capable of high levels of play. When he has moved even slightly off his spot, the game can become really hard for him, and his struggles with the Rams against pressure are being heightened because they aren't getting the line play that they were getting last year. Mark, agree, disagree?
2: No, I I completely agree. I think you teed it up there perfectly, Mike. I think part of their struggles right now are the protection isn't there, and so this isn't a, well, the quarterback's playing bad, so we're going to blame the offensive line situation. It's just... The inability to keep him clean exacerbates some of his weaknesses as a quarterback. Cool. And you look at their game a couple weeks ago against Arizona, or actually it was Tampa Bay, excuse me. You no, know, He had some interceptions that came under pressure because he had to either force himself to sort of throw quickly or force himself to read the defense faster. And we know from talking about golf last year, he has hesitation moments where if you're a defense, you can force him to sort of rethink, reset, and throw. He's gonna hesitate, he's gonna be slow and you're gonna exploit that. Oh. You know, I think in their game against Seattle on Thursday night, he did some nice things. He made some anticipation throws. He had some good timing throws. He had some great throws in that game, especially to Cooper Cup. Oh, yeah. But he also got let down at times. You know, some of the picks weren't on him. They went through the arms of you know, the hands of receivers. Yeah. But they got to figure some things out. And we're seeing, we know this is a copycat league. And it started last year when the Rams played the Lions and the trickle down through the Bears game, the Eagles game, obviously the Patriots. And now teams are still sort of ignoring that jet motion stuff. They're playing some sort of six man fronts, which is taking away what they like to do again, that outside zone game and booting off of that. And they're showing them a lot more sort of zone coverages at times, like the Patriots did that cover four look, which is taking away the crossers. Like you said, he throws intermediate routes well. Nail on those, cut on those, take away those crossers, force them to throw elsewhere. You put that together, it's tough to execute because teams are taking away what they do well.
1: Let me see if I can frame it to you this way, and and I want to just kind of like an overview of the Rams offense. Before... I would say even the Lions game late into the year last year, that was before the uh, the, the Bears game as well. But yep. in the earlier portions of the season, let's say the first nine or 10 weeks, if, if that is a 10 for the Rams offense, what have they been this year on a scale from one to 10 compared to that, that early mid-season type of area for them where they were putting up a lot of points? Where are they at?
2: I think they're more like a five or a six now. Oh. And yeah, it's it's been a big drop-off. And again- Part of it is they, they still they they're not as effective running the ball. Like we were talking about with Minnesota, so much of what they want to do and what they want to be starts with getting you working, getting you flow into one side and then creating off of that. The teams have figured out to ignore the jet sweep stuff. So they're pie- piecing together this sort of Sean McVay offense. Now we know what it is. Now we know who Jared Goff is as quarterback, and we can start to take that stuff away. Right. And if Sean McVay is the offensive genius that we've made him out to be, myself included, Hmm. then he has to sort of come up with a new way to answer the questions defenses are giving him. Now, whether that's coming back and they did a little bit of this in the game against Seattle and a little bit against Tampa Bay as well, where they started throwing to that jet sweep guy, you know, make them think about that again. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you're going to use that, use it, don't make it just eye candy. Go back to inside zone stuff. If you can't get the wide zone, the outside zone stuff going, you had a good inside zone game with C.J. Anderson. Do some of that. Come back to stuff that Goff knows. They ran some Y-cross earlier in this year. Come back to more of that. Come back to mesh. Don't try to create him as a downfield passer if it's not really there. Do what we were doing with Wentz. Get the ball out quickly. Like, if he's going to struggle against pressure, don't run slow development route concepts that invite pressure. So that's the task for McVay, sort of reinventing himself in this offense, given what defenses are now showing him.
1: I like what he did against Seattle, too, when he went tempo and he started moving yeah. the launch points to really kind of stave off that pressure and let Goff, and let Goff deal. Because when he's clean, then the guy can definitely throw some some pretty, pretty balls. Okay, let's talk about Seattle. You You brought him up. I've got an early MVP favorite, Russell Wilson, man is playing some of the best ball in the NFL, if not the best ball in the NFL. I'm a big Russ fan. I mean, the one where he was rolling to his left, he's rolling to his off-ball hand, and he just chucks it into the corner of the end zone with the, the most perfect placement. Guy right in his face while he does it. This guy is playing lights out. Russ is one of those guys that are so annoying when he's playing your team. With his escapability and the throws that he's able to make and the way he's able to extend plays. Because the way he does things, like you don't draw Russ up on a chalkboard, right? He transcends all of that. He is playing some lights out football this year.
2: Yeah, he he certainly is. And what's fascinating about this Seattle offense and Russell Wilson is – it frustrates a lot of our friends on the analytics side because they want to establish the run, and Schottenheimer wants to get to the magic number of what is it, like 50 runs and passing attempts or whatever.
1: It's 53. Yeah. Yeah, 53. Of, yeah, c- completions and runs.
2: You know, it, it certainly frustrates people. And when you look at some of the numbers, their EPA on throws over 20 yards, it's like they're playing a different sport, you know, because mm. it's just ridiculous. But it works. And the reason why it works is Russell Wilson's ability to create. And to keep his eyes downfield and to throw on the move and to see things develop downfield as he's sometimes running for his life, it's elite. I don't want I don't want to say it's like unparalleled because we've seen other quarterbacks that can do that. We saw Rogers with a throw like that this week, that sort of attack the line of scrimmage and make the side I'm throwing a We know what Mahomes can do in that sense, but it's elite for Wilson as well. And as I always sort of analogize like the tiers of quarterbacks, I hate rankings, but I like tiers more. And if you're asked, you know, one game to save your life, pick your quarterback, Wilson's in the mix of guys you would pick. Yeah, I mean, it's Mahomes, it's Breeze, it's Brady, it's Wilson, maybe it's Rogers. Like, you know, and you could quibble with some of the other guys, maybe throw a Wentz in there if you want to. But I I think Wilson belongs in that sort of elite tier. And the throw he had to lock it in the back corner. I mean, (laughs) I know Next Gen pointed out that that was in the past, like three years, the most impossible throw to complete given – The coverage, the fact he was rolling to his offhand, everything. It was like 1% chance to complete it. And he put it in a perfect spot. He had a throw in the third quarter on a third and seven where he's flushed to the right again. You know, vertical to the running back out of the backfield, under pressure, under duress, along the right sideline, absolutely on the money. He's just an incredibly fun player to watch. I think you're right that if you were to vote right now, yeah, he's probably the MVP. You might look at Christian McCaffrey, for example, who's playing himself into you know that mm. mix as well, which is going to frustrate some of the running backs don't matter crowd if he starts <laughs> to get MVP votes. But yeah. he's playing extremely well, and he's doing it with Kyle Allen. But Russell Wilson has been fantastic to watch this year. And like you said – you love watching him unless it's your team he's going up against.
1: <laughs> very, very annoying to watch. Yeah, and you mentioned McCaffrey. He's in that discussion. Man, Mac- guys like McCaffrey and Kamara absolutely matter to these offenses. They're just – they're they're balling out. They're special players. But that is right. going to do it for us here at the QB Show. Mark, you want to remind the gentle listeners of a little contest that we, that we have going on because we've gotten a few submissions and of uh, a, a varying quality, but some of them are pretty good.
2: Some are pretty good. Now remember, we are putting together some Scotia swag for the first trip around the sun to sort of commemorate the first year, one year anniversary of the show. Like we said, it's going to be designed like a, a rock tour, or a musical act tour, where we're going to have a logo on the front, and some of the historical references on the back. It's going to be fun. It'll kind of put way to sort of encapsulate what we do here on the show. But we need a logo. We've gotten some submissions, but we'd always like to get more. Um, You can send those to Mike or I, you know, Twitter or elsewhere, um, because we will send you some swag. Maybe we even get some swag. I might even gift some swag. I'm sure everybody listening would love like a Tom Brady signed something. So, I mean, (laughs) hey, maybe I'll send you a Tom Brady signed, you know, football or a helmet or something. Or I got a Larry Bird signature on a $5 bill if anybody wants that. So, (laughs) look, we'll we'll, we'll make it worth your time to give you some swag. Maybe I will sign this Pope's book since i read from it so much, but- Send some logos in. We'd love to see your work. We'd love to promote the heck out of you, um, get you the Twitter followers, maybe even have you on the show. I don't know. I'm just giving away stuff at this point, but you need some Jeez, logos. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you're maybe going you can extra. take over for Mike. Mike, you're yeah.
1: fine. Yeah. You <laughs> can have my job. What the heck yeah. just happened? All right. Well, since since I'm done here with BGN, that's going to do it for the QB Go <laughs> Show. Hit the music.